Today's scripture comes to us from Isaiah and 1 Peter. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she would that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 12 to 13. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounce upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3-6 to six. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, and the putting on of gold jewelry on the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husband as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you are a God who is near, a God who is not far. And we thank you most of all for the many blessings that you give that really show of your kindness and grace. One particular gift that we want to honor, Lord, is the gift of motherhood. Lord, thank you so much for all the mothers today. And we pray that today's word which highlights the great servants of mothers would really be encouraged and that all of us who are non-mothers would be reminded of the honor and the joy that should be coming out of us as we direct it towards them. Father, we pray now that you would bless this message in spite of the one who brings it, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in, except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Never give in. Sir Winston Churchill, October 29th, 1941. A small segment of a speech that he gave to a bunch of mothers with preschoolers. No. (laughs) No, it was a school of students. Students, And because they were students, I am convinced that he would have said to mothers that he said to those students. Why? Well, because Winston Churchill himself was a student, and he later on in his life said that the greatest of all of his teachers was his mom. And of course, he is not the only highly prominent person of history who has so highly praised his mom, for even our own leaders in our day have said those things. Consider President John Quincy Adams, who once said, all that I am, my mother made me. President Abraham Lincoln, excuse me, President Abraham Lincoln said, all that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. Thomas Edison, the great inventor, once said this, it was at critical times in my life that my mother believed in me, and because of her faith in me, I became a great inventor. If there was ever an argument to be made of what the common element is to some of the greatest people in history, you can easily make the case that it was because of mom. Mom. Moms make a difference. 
They make a fantastic difference, which is why, thankfully, as a society, we honor these individuals on the second Sunday of every May, which we now know as Mother's Day. And given that the holiday is so ingrained in our cultural psyche, it really is a no-brainer on how we can honor our mothers. Because even if you and your particular brain have no idea on how you can honor your mom, no worries. There are tons of companies and businesses everywhere that are willing and ready to inform you on how you can honor your mother today. Whether it becomes in the form of a bouquet of flowers, a nice fancy meal, even an exotic trick somewhere on this globe, what have you. When it comes to how to honor our moms, we as a society have no problem at that. However, the same cannot be said on why we honor our mothers, why we honor them. Oh, I'm sure everyone in here can easily catalog a list of various things that your mom has done for you or maybe still does. that make you so appreciative of her. But I'm not talking about those things. Rather, I want to talk about what are those special set-apart things that only mom can do, that only mom does, that causes the desire and also the responsibility for you to honor her. Why do you honor mom? It's a very important question that you must answer, especially if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus. Because one of the things that our Lord teaches us in a prominent command he repeats throughout the scripture is this. Honor your father and your mother. So you see, this topic that we're addressing today is not some cheesy way or some modeling way to some sentimentality. This is an issue of obedience. So I say again, Christian, why do you honor mom? Why? If you find yourself squirming in your chairs, fret not, because I'm going to tell you the answer right now in the form of a quote from one of my favorite theologians by the name of Herman Bovink. Listen to what he says, quote, all of the relationships which exist in the world between bridegroom and bride, man and woman, parents and children, rulers and subjects and the like are called upon in scripture to teach us the rich, many-sided relationships in which people in general and particularly believers stand in relation to God. And none of these relationships can be neglected without our doing violence of some kind to the intimacy of that relationship. What is he saying? He is saying every human relationship that exists for the good of mankind exists because each teach in their own unique way the multidimensional relationship that we have with God. And so zeroing in on moms, what does that tell us? It tells us moms Teach us something about God that we could never know, ever discover, ever learn in any other relationship that is out there, period. And so the question is, what are the unique things? What are the unique areas? What are the unique manifestations about the knowledge of God that our mom teaches us today? Because by understanding that, then you can answer the question of why we honor moms. And so, with that established, three things I'd like to tell you about why we should honor moms today. Number one, we honor mom because they loved us first. We honor mom because they loved us first. Number two, we honor mom because they loved us in security. We honor mom because they loved us in security. And finally, we honor mom because they loved us as a follower. Okay? We honor mom because they loved us first, they loved us in security, and they loved us as a follower. Let's jump right in to the very first point. We honor mom because they loved us first. Consider with me the question embedded in the first passage of our consideration today, Isaiah 49, verse 15. The question goes like this. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she 
should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Now, that is an interesting question. And the reason why I say it's so interesting is for two reasons. Reason number one, if you read this question just on the surface, it comes across, no offense, as somewhat stupid. <laughs> it's kind of a stupid question to ask because it's so blatantly obvious. Uh, why does a mom love her child? Duh, isn't it obvious? I mean, the kind of question that we read here you would imagine coming out of the mouth of someone who just doesn't get it, someone who is just so naive, someone who's a dunce, someone who is like watching the news, see fake news and think it's gospel truth, okay? Which segues into the second reason why I find the question so interesting because if you look at the context, you come to your shocking discovery that the person asking it is none other than God himself. God is asking this seemingly stupid question and now, all of a sudden, a question that initially seems so stupid transforms into an intriguing question, a question in which we need to pause and to deeply consider what's the underlying point? What is the hidden idea? What is the message that God wants us to understand by asking such a blatantly obvious question or what we think is blatantly obvious? Well, consider what Old Testament scholar E.J. Young says about this very question in his commentary. He says this, quote, The Lord asks a question to which a negative answer would be expected. How great is the love of the mother for the little child that she suckles? For how can a mother forget her suckling? Night and day it demands her attention and affection. For this reason, the Lord speaks of the mother rather than the father. That a mother should forget her child is unthinkable. For this reason, too, the word suckling or nursing in our translation is chosen rather than son or daughter. It is the one who is wholly dependent upon the mother that is brought before our eyes, end quote. What is he saying? He's saying there's something undeniably unique, unquestionably exclusive when it comes to mom, specifically mom's love. And what is that uniqueness? What is that exclusivity? Give up? Mom is the one who loved us first. Before there was any love that was directed at us, her love was directed at us. She is the one who loved us first. A mom's love is the primal love. Before any love even made its way in going in our direction, mom's love was already there. That is the mom's love. Mom's love is the first love. Okay? Now, I know some of you dads in here might take offense to what I just said. Excuse me, pastor, right? Let me tell you something. When my wife told me that we were pregnant, that very moment, my heart swole up with love for that, 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 that thing inside of her. So I disagree with you. I loved that child the same moment that my wife knew she was pregnant. So you're wrong. I disagree. I loved my child as early as my wife did. Oh, really? You did? Well, let me ask you. Did you carry that child in your gut for nine months? Were you the one who had to deal with morning sickness where you couldn't eat food, let alone your favorite foods or drink your favorite drinks? Were you the one, Dad, who every three weeks had to buy new pants, new shoes, right? Not even able to wear your favorite clothing. Were you the one, sorry to say, TMI, but it has to be said. Were you the one, Dad, who had to wear adult diapers because your child's head was pushing down on Mama's bladder, making her temporarily incontinent and also dealing with hemorrhoids? Was that you, dad? And that's all before the birth. Were you the one, dad, who had to be 
responsible for pushing this thing out of your body in excruciating pain for multiple hours. Meanwhile, the person responsible for making you that way, screaming in your face, do it, do it, come on. Or not even that. Were you the one, dad, if that option wasn't available, had to go on the table of the surgeon's desk where he cut you open like a lab rat, pulled out all your guts, pushed it to the side, and then pulled the baby out of you? Sorry. <laughs> it has to be said. Sisters, the men have to know, right? Or how about even after when the baby's out? Dad, were you the one who had to breastfeed do the very thing that the question is asking in Isaiah 44. Were you the one who had to be responsible for making sure that this child had enough <clears throat> to live off on, to regain the weight they lost because your breast milk wasn't coming out yet? What's the point? The point is this. Yes, dad, you may have loved your child the same time as your wife did, but I'm sorry to say, and I, I'm saying this to myself, and I'm a father of five. Your love, dad, is just simply not the same as mama's love. It's not. It's categorically different. It's of a different nature. Okay? It's so different. It is not the same thing. Because a mother's love is the very first love that a child receives that has real practical action behind it. Actions that are sacrificial, actions that cause suffering, actions that require tremendous self-denial. And because that is so, we honor our moms because she is the only human being capable of living out a specific characteristic of God's love for us. And that is God's love for us, like a mother's love, was there before any other love existed and then some. In fact, scripture goes on to say, that God's love was there even before anything else was created, including mom. Consider what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 4, he, we read, Even before he, God, made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Notice how Paul qualifies God's first love that was there before the foundation of the world. What was it like? It was a love that was in Christ. In other words, God's first love for us that was there before the foundation of the world was in the same categorically descriptive way of Christ's love for us when he died on the cross. It was a sacrificial love. It was a suffering love. It was a love that required tremendous self-denial, just like a mother's love. Yes, indeed, a mom's love is unlike any other because it allows us to practically experience firsthand God's love for us in Jesus Christ. His sacrificial suffering and self-denying love. That's the first reason, Christian, why you are called to honor mom and what you can learn about God through your mom because she first loved us like God first loved us in Christ. But here's the thing. Because she was the very first who loved us this way, that also means she is in a position to establish something in us that we so desperately need in order to live in this world. What do I mean by that? Well, let me explain by going to my next point. Why? We honor mom because they loved us in security. Let's move on to the second passage for today. In Isaiah chapter 66, we're starting in verse 12. We read, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees. And one 
whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Now, just a little context for your understanding here. The prophet Isaiah is giving a prophecy to the people of God of what God will do after they suffer a tremendous cataclysmic national event known as the Babylonian exile. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, the Babylonian exile was a 70-year period where the entire nation of Judah were stolen away ripped away from their homes, separated from their loved ones into a foreign nation that they have never been to before, a terrible, frightening place known as Babylon, okay? The exile was arguably one of the most tremendously traumatic and terrifying events that God's people have ever had to experience in their history where things like slavery, torture, and death were the result. But God wanted to assure his people that in spite of all this trauma, in spite of all this terror, God would bring hope and healing and restoration to that. And to convey this promise, he uses this very interesting imagery of a mom, specifically the effects that a mother's love has on her child. Read again what he says in verse 13. He says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You see that word comfort that's repeated three times in the original Hebrew? The word literally means to nurture, nurture. And according to Merriam-Webster, The word nurture is defined as growing someone to be secure. Growing someone to be a secure being. A mother's love is not only the first love we experience, it's also the love that gives us security and confidence so that we can survive and endure in a hostile world. A mother's love is the love that gives us security and confidence so that we can survive and endure in a very unstable, hostile world. Consider these words from psychologist Maurice Wagner as he explains. He writes this, quote, Identification is a mental process based upon the natural ability to empathize. As a child senses his mother's feelings empathically, he begins to feel as his mother feels. This ability to feel as another person feels or feeling as if one is actually the other person is called identification. Since the child identifies with his mother, he takes his mother into himself psychologically. He thinks and acts like her. She becomes an object within his mind. For instance, the mother is delighted with her baby. This affectionate delight communicates empathically to the baby to make him delighted in himself. He gives value to himself by virtue of the feelings of value his mom gives to him. Also, when mom corrects him, his identification with her makes him begin to correct himself. One very important factor in development is that the child's identification with his mother neutralizes his natural coercive rage against her for not always giving him just what he wants. As he senses that she has his welfare in mind and disobedience can bring harm, he cancels his rage and adopts his mother attitude as his own. End quote. The more a child experience a mother's love, especially in the first three years where they are most empathic, the more secure they become psychologically, giving them a solid foundation to anchor themselves so that when things outside of them are falling apart, they are not falling apart on the inside. You see, psychology tells us that one of the common reactions that people have when they go through trauma and tragedy is that they internalize that to the point where they start taking responsibility for it. They blame themselves. They think, it's because I'm nothing. It's because I'm, I'm deserving of this, because I'm worthless, because I'm disgusting that this happened to me. 
They internalize it and they sense, say, it's because of me that this happened to me. I am nothing. I am wicked. I am gross. I deserve it. I am worthless. But that does not happen when children are well-loved by mom because a mother's love brings an internal resilience that gives them the courage to face problems rather than just passively accepting their problems and think, oh, woe is me. This is just my lot in life. No. The more a child is loved by mom, the more secure they are. There is no one else on God's green earth that can determine for another person whether they will have internal strength or internal fragility than mom. And this is something that the Bible actually echoes back to us, confirms and validates. Consider what the Apostle Paul says about his servant Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, where starting in verse 5, it says this, I remember, Timothy, your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. The one person who can lay a foundation of inner strength and security onto another person, that's mom. It's mom. And this is why we love you, mom. This is why we honor you. Because you, more than any other human being, give your children the inner strength and security we need to face any threat, any challenge, any obstacle that would seek to tear us down. Your love is the conduit that channels God's love into our hearts so that we have a spirit, not of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. That is the power of God's love coming through the love of mom. That's what scripture says. That's what psychology says. And that is the second reason why we honor you. With that said, however, there's so much more that needs to be said something that I think we cannot end this topic on without getting to this last reason that I'm about to share with you tonight, today, tonight, today. And to do so, let me do that now by going to the third point. We honor mom because they loved us as a follower, as a follower. Read our final passage for today, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're starting in verse 3. We read, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Just in case you're not familiar with the background, the Apostle Peter is addressing a church that he started, specifically addressing the women of the church, more specifically, the wives of the church. Okay? And if you looked carefully in verse 4, he says to his wives in the church that they are to cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit. And you're like, what does that even mean? Confused? It's okay. Keep reading because in the very next verse, he clarifies exactly what it means to have a gentle and quiet spirit. What does that mean? Ready? Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Ooh, Peter just told the wives of the church they need to submit the husband. He didn't say women in general need to submit to all men. He says specifically, wives, submit to your husband. And I know, ladies, you hear that, you're like, what? 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 <laughs> you know? 
Because it just sounds so primitive, it sounds so insulting, and it seems to just further this chronic problem that we've had in human history of women being oppressed, which is true. And I get that. I totally do. But would you consider the possibility that that is not the mindset or motivation of Peter? Consider again what he says in verse 6. He says, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This is so interesting. Peter makes a connection. Okay, he makes a connection between a wife submitting to her husband and the impact that has on her kids. The impact it has on parenting, on motherhood. And if you consider what I've been saying so far, you can understand why he makes this connection. Let me explain. Remember what I said up till now. A mother's love is the very first love that a child experiences, okay? But because a mother's love is the, first chi- is the first love that a child experiences, that also means mom is in a unique position to have influence over that child. Remember, identification, empathy, right? To where that child will assimilate psychologically all that the mom is, specifically what the mom values, as well as what the mom rejects. By identification, this psychological empathic process that happens through child development, a child will acquire what the mom values as well as what the mom rejects. So here's the question. What is a mom teaching her child of what that child should value as well as what that child should reject by submitting to her husband? Hmm? Give up? It's this. She's telling her child by submitting to her husband that that child should value authority and reject autonomy. Let me say that again. When a wife submits to her husband, she's teaching her child to value authority and reject autonomy. In other words, she is telling her child to follow the pattern of her life by doing what she does towards her husband, to follow, to be a follower. She is teaching her child, child, follow my example, be a follower. You're like, why? Why would a mom do that? Well, let me ask, what is the central characteristic of a Christian? What is the central characteristic of a follower? I just gave it away. What is the central characteristic of a disciple of Jesus? It's a follower. (laughs) I'm the dad. There's such a thing as daddy brain too, you know. Consider this quote from Pastor Joel Stoll. God created us to follow. Being made in God's image means we are designed for a res- reflective following relationship to our creator. Adam and Eve were given responsibilities that defined how they were to follow and then were released to enjoy all he has made. God was a singular pursuit of their lives and their environment was a place to express their followership as an act of gratitude and love. Life turned sour when these fully devoted followers were seduced by the offer of a supposedly better and more independent kind of life. Adam and Eve took Satan's offer of a self-managed life, and since then, nothing we touch, taste, feel, or do has ever been the same for any of us. Self-management is not only the essence of the first sin, it is the very character of sin itself, end quote. The essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a follower of Jesus. And when a mom loves her child in the context of marriage, to where she submits to her husband because a child cannot think abstractly. God is abstract. So what can they understand as a figure of authority they should submit to? What about dad? 
someone who stands in the place temporarily of God for a child. When a wife submits to her husband, which in the framework of a child's mind is a concrete representation of the authority of God, now through the process of identification, this child is going to think, ah, I need to follow my mom by submitting to authority. The authority that dad's authority represents for me, God's authority. Do you see? So as the child grows up, when that mom faithfully follows the authority of her husband, she essentially protects her child from developing an attitude that says, I don't follow anyone. I am my own king. I am my own queen. I am the captain of my own soul. I am the director of my own ship, whatever that quote is, you know, that Nelson Mandela quoted so often. I am my own God. This is something we need to fully grasp. Because check this out. When a son, a son, a boy, sees his mom submitting to her husband, and that son, through the process of identification, takes it in himself and says, ah, I need to submit to authority. When that son grows up to eventually be a husband and a father himself, what kind of husband and father is he going to be? He's going to be a husband and a father who understands he's under authority. He is going to be a submissive husband. He's going to be a submissive father. He's not going to be the father who rules with the iron fist, who says my way or the highway, who's responsible for so much manipulation and oppression of women that society has had to deal with. No, you now have a man who under the example of his mom understands that he will one day have to answer to his authority, God, on how he treats his wife, how he treats his kids. Do you see the pattern? Do you understand now? This is why Paul says what he does in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 3, a verse which initially sounds very offensive, but listen to what it says. The head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Notice what Paul is saying. He says the head of every man, not just husbands, not just fathers, but the head of every man is Christ. And then in the very next statement, he says why that occurs. Why? Because the wife recognized that her husband is the head of the family. And so she submits. So that as that son grows, he always sustains in his heart this mindset that I'm always supposed to be a follower. I'm always supposed to be submissive even when i'm in positions of leadership so that the leadership that i exude is not oppressive leadership but submissive leadership so that when i lead i don't lead as if i am god i lead as someone who is under god that's the whole point this is why we honor you moms because you more than anyone else have shown us how to protect ourselves from our greatest enemy us we are our own greatest enemy and the way you did this is by instilling in us the mindset to follow the one whom you follow the one who protects us from us that's jesus christ i mean isn't that what the gospel teaches doesn't the gospel teach us that god came into the world as jesus christ so that he could save us from our own sins does he save us from the sins of others yes But doesn't he principally, primarily save us from the consequences of our own sins? Who is responsible, according to scripture, for our own condemnation, for our own ultimate suffering? It's us. We are our own worst enemy. 
We are the one who was against ourselves, who was committed to our own self-destruction by convincing us that living a self-destructive life is actually a life of freedom when in fact that is the deception of the devil. The only person who can establish firsthand when we most need it the most in the process of identification is the one who loves us first and who will model before us what true life and freedom is. It's in the context of following. It's that gospel, mom, that you are teaching us. It's that gospel that you are preparing us to believe, that you did prepare us to believe, who you will prepare your children to believe. Do you understand? (laughs) Emily gets it. That's why we honor you. And so we say, thank you, mom. Thank you for being that example for us. So that as men, leaders of the church, leaders in the household, can have the good sense of knowing that we are to respect those who are under our care, under our responsibility, rather than ever falling into the demonic deception that says, I am my own king, and this is my castle. You are my slaves. No. The gospel that's exhibited through a mother's love as a follower of Jesus does wonders in raising a generation of leaders that will have a powerful impact because they will lead as submissive followers of Jesus Christ. That's how we change the world. That's how the world gets blessed. Now, with all this said, understandably under recognizing that much more could be said, I want to end my message by addressing you non-mothers. First, as you in here get ready to honor your moms today, I hope you will do so in light of today's message. Yes, you'll have the dinners. Yes, you'll have the cards and the flowers given away, and you'll do all the hows of honoring your mom. But I hope and pray that as you do the hows, that you will remember the why. Why do you honor moms? Why do you honor mom, Christian? I hope that what you learned this morning will resonate today and every day so long as your mom is here on this earth. Honor moms correctly because she is the one who more than anything has displayed a perception and understanding of God's love that you will never be able to capture apart from her. Don't just fixate on how you're going to honor her. Also give thanks to why you honor her. Amen? Amen. That's my charge for you today. But now I want to end my message addressing to particular sisters in this room or even particular children in this room. I know that today's sermon, for whatever reason, was kind of hard for you to listen to. Maybe the mom that you want to honor isn't in your life because, A, she wasn't the kind of mother she should have been, and now there's a rift, there's distance, to her, even from practical purposes, trying to honor her is simply not possible. Or two, she was that mother, but she's no longer that mother to you now because she's not here anymore. What can you do if you find yourself in those two situations? My suggestion is the same for both, and that is follow Jesus. Faithfully grow in your following of Jesus. The way you can honor the moms who aren't in your life, whether it be due to the failures of their lives or by the ending of their lives, 
is by growing faithfully in your following of Jesus. Because by growing in your following of Jesus, you undermine the very things that are preventing you from honoring her right now. Let me explain. If you grew up with a mom who failed in her role as a mom to you, you're not doomed to suffer the consequences of her negligence. Go back to the first passage that we read, Isaiah 49, 15, but now let's read it in full. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the sum of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I, the Lord, will not forget you. What is he saying? He's saying, even if mom failed you, God will never fail you. He can and he still will get to you, even if his primary path of coming to you is no longer available to him. Mom. And because that is true, do you know what that means? Even if mom did not establish the foundations that you needed, and even if you still suffer the consequences of that, the gospel promises that the originator of mom's love, God's love, is still able to come to you. After all, you're in this room. You're worshiping God. Praise God for that. That though he relies on instruments, he does not depend on human instruments to convey the power and the transformation of his love. Remember, a mother's love is not originating in her. It originates in the one who is the source of a mother's love. And praise God for that. And as you understand that, and as you grow in your following of Jesus, it's as if you were parented by the perfect mother of all so that you'll be in a position of maturity and grace to re-engage the mom who was not. And you can start a process of healing, restoration, and forgiveness. So I say that to you, child of a negligent mother, grow faithfully in Jesus. But what about those of you who practically cannot honor the perfect mom who's no longer with you? Again, my answer to you, follow Jesus. Keep following Jesus. You know why? Because as you faithfully follow him, he will eventually lead you back to her where she is waiting for you, where he is going to take you to be with her and with him forever. I cannot understand. I cannot empathize how difficult this day might be for some of you. But I can assure you that the one who knows your sorrow, the one who understands your pain, is the one who has come to alleviate it by becoming a person of sorrow and pain, but also being the one who leads you back home. He will lead you back. All you have to do is just follow. This last one is just as painful. And this is to my sisters, my dear sisters, who I dearly love. What about you sisters in here who don't have a problem of honoring mom because mom is still there, but you have a problem because you can't be honored as mom. There are sisters in this congregation who know all too well of what it's like to have a desire, but a frustration of that desire. Some of you dear sisters in here, no husband, no child, can have a day like this and be filled with such sorrow and pain. What can I say to you? What could I possibly say to you? I would say this again. Follow 
Jesus. Follow Jesus. I cannot promise you that a husband, a child will come. But you know what I can promise? I can promise that so long as you faithfully follow Christ, you may never have a biological child, but so long as you faithfully follow Christ, you will be a mother of many. Look around. Go across the room and see. I don't just have five kids at NCF. I have close to 86 kids. Ladies, so do you. Do you remember what Jesus once said when his mother and brothers tried to get him to come out from doing his ministry? Matthew chapter 12, verse 48. He says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mothers and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven, anyone who follows him is my brother and sister and what? Mother. My sisters, I cannot carry the pain that I wish I could. But the one who has, has promised you that there is a legacy happening here and now and that there is a place for your maternal instincts to be lived out for the flourishing of every child that walks through these doors and into your life. But all you have to do is follow. Will you follow? And will you help your children, the next generation, follow as well? Let's pray. Father, I ask for your grace and mercy to be upon us. For on this day, we recognize a faithful servant of yours that so often gets hidden and take it for granted. And Lord, we pray that you will correct that folly in our hearts, that insensitivity, and that we today, and every day for that matter, would honor those who serve and represent you so faithfully. Father, we thank you for moms. We thank you for who they are and who they represent and how through their sacrifice, through their sufferings, their self-denial, point to the one who ultimately suffered, who ultimately sacrificed, and who ultimately denied self, you, Jesus. O Lord, the greatest and loudest, most eloquent prophet of the gospel is the very one who makes us breakfast every morning, who does our dirty laundry, who cries over us every night. Father, I pray that we would be so sensitive to your wonderful servants, our wives, our mothers, our grandmothers, Father, our aunts. Father, help us to remember these things so that as a community of faith, we will always honor you by honoring the ones whom you sent to proclaim your goodness and mercy. Help us to do that today and every day of our lives. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.